Welcome to this episode on the FCA's consumer duty and its consequences for firms' treatment of vulnerable customers. I'm Connie Faith, an associate in our financial regulation team in London, and I'm joined today by my colleague Duncan Campbell, a senior associate in the same practice. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. This is a special podcast episode for us. As you'll be aware, the FCA headlines the treatment of vulnerable customers throughout its new consumer duty. To help you grapple with this, in particular as it relates to customer communications and support, we're joined by Jason Jaspal from Samaritans, who will talk to us about some of their work training frontline staff to identify and assist vulnerable customers. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. We'll start this episode with a refresher on vulnerable customers in the consumer duty context, but we'll move on rapidly to Jason and his insights. We'll finish with a few key actions for firms to take as they implement the duty's vulnerable customer requirements, as well as some of the ways you can get involved with the important work that Samaritans are doing in this space right now. So first of all, Connie, can you tell us what are vulnerable customers exactly when it comes to the FCA's rules and guidance? Yep, sure. So according to 2021 FCA guidance, they're people who, due to their personal circumstances, are especially susceptible to harm, particularly when a firm is not acting with appropriate levels of care. All customers can become vulnerable and the risk is increased by characteristics of vulnerability related to four key drivers. These are health, life events, resilience, that is persons with a low ability to withstand emotional or financial shocks, and capability, for example, those with a low knowledge of financial matters or a low confidence in managing money. Right. And the FCA also says that not all customers with characteristics of vulnerability will be vulnerable, but they may be more likely to have additional or different needs. And if firms don't meet them, then that could limit their ability to make decisions effectively or to represent their own interests. And Connie, what do firms need to do in relation to vulnerable customers under the new consumer duty? Well, in a nutshell, it contains enforceable rules. So there's an increased enforcement risk here. And those rules require the needs of vulnerable customers to be addressed. Firms will need to identify the characteristics and needs of vulnerable customers and then support good outcomes for them throughout product design, ensuring fair value. And what's most relevant to our discussion today with Samaritans is that firms must ensure customer understanding and customer support throughout a product's lifecycle. Vulnerable customers should be able to understand verbal and nonverbal communications to allow them to make good decisions. They should be supported in firms' interactions with them, anticipating their needs and removing impediments they may face. Right. And the key here is that the duty represents a move by the regulator away from prescriptive rules and towards more outcomes-based regulations. So a lot is going to be left to firms themselves to work out how they're going to comply, though, of course, the previously published guidance will keep uh, being relevant to this. Okay, so let's draw on Samaritan's expertise now to explore in more detail what firms can be doing in practice to meet the customer understanding and customer support outcomes. So Jason, would you like to please introduce yourself and Samaritan's? Thanks, Connie. So yeah, hi, I'm Jason Jasper. I'm Assistant Director for Business Development at Samaritan's. We're actually a 70-year-old charity, so most people have probably heard of us or come across us at some point and we're probably best known for our 24-hour helpline which provides emotional support to anyone struggling to cope or in crisis. It's manned by 22,000 amazing volunteers in the UK. What perhaps we are less known for but the growing part of our work is the work we do in communities and with local and national businesses where we work to give people the skills and confidence to spot the signs and look out for others. Our helpline values are based on listening, confidentiality, 
being non-judgmental, letting people make their own decisions, and most importantly, human contact. We've seen a big opportunity for us to look at different settings in which we can use those same service values to help educate and upskill different groups around how they support customers and actually how they support each other. So our training programs, which is really the hub of what we offer to businesses, are based on those those principles of providing individuals with the skills, confidence, permission to better support those around them, including customers. We work with all kinds of organisations, public sector, emergency services, financial services, energy companies, retailers, and particularly environments where those members of the public might be at higher risk. Dealing with money and finances is a big part of that because the the conversations that people are having are complex. They are dealing with people who might be particularly vulnerable in greater emotional stress, you know, making big decisions. And so providing those customer facing staff with the skills and confidence to support people can help them get to those better outcomes that we spoke about at the start. What sort of conversations do you have with financial services firms about their day-to-day spotting of issues and handling them proactively when it comes to aspects of vulnerability? While our offer is really focused on skills and education, we know that it takes other criteria within an organisation for that to be really, really effective. So challenging, helping review policies, the culture Um, understanding the settings and the context that they're operating within. Because ultimately, if the culture isn't right, if the staff setup isn't right, then these things aren't going to work. But it's also understanding what's the role of the manager. How do we help the manager support the, the team to be more resilient, to make sure that they're being good role models? All of that needs to be built in. So buying a training package off the shelf won't be enough by itself. It needs to be embedded with the right policy, culture and practices around it. So it's a holistic piece, ultimately. So when it comes to actually each individual interaction that a frontline staff member might have, what will be the key messages that you give to a a person in that situation to help them to spot vulnerabilities? Yeah, sure. So what we can't do is train everybody to become a Samaritan. What we're trying to do is to provide a frontline customer service operative with the base skills to be able to identify somebody. So we talk a lot about listening in our in our training programs. I think listening is a bit of a, um, a catch-all phrase for really observing what's going on with somebody. So understand, looking out for particular signs, in, depending on the setting, those signs could be anything from someone's intonation in their voice. It could be background on, on a phone call if someone's in a particularly stressful situation or there's something something happening on the, on the, on, in the background of the phone call. It could be someone's access requirements and they're choosing to communicate with you in a particular way. All of these could be signs of what's happening in the setting, what's this person possibly going through. So that does differ and we do work with different organizations around what that might look like but it's very much about observing and listening and then I think how do you then work through that with the individual again our training is really about allowing some space and some time to let that person offload to you talk to you provide them with with some space to explore how they're feeling and then aim to move that conversation to a safer place 
for that for that person. A good outcome on a on, on our on our listing service through our calls is someone to be in a less heightened state of stress or crisis at the end of a call. The outcome that that, that safe space might again might look different depending on on the setting, or it could be signposting to some onward support, or it could be that actually it's just that person needed someone to talk to in that moment and they've reached a level of calmness. So the frontline staff providing support in financial services firms, the next thing they need to do is they have to work out how best to support that person. What does a frontline staff member then need to keep in mind to really um, meet that vulnerable customer's needs? What we do think about is how difficult conversations are delivered. We would be looking at how best someone's going to respond to a piece of information and making sure that it's delivered in a way that it's, that it's, that it's really well potentially understood and that we would provide support on techniques to help deliver information to somebody who might still be upset because of personal situation or might be in a heightened state of anger still. So it's it's really those communication techniques and using things like what we use something called the listening wheel to make sure someone has effectively understood what's been said. So using pauses, check-ins with people to make sure they're following what you're what's been communicated to them, but also going back over what they've said back to you to make sure that it's come through. And just moving away from frontline staff, what is it really that people like team leaders, senior managers can be doing to support those frontline staff and their teams kind of identify and assist vulnerable customers? I think what we're seeing is that mental health and well-being and even suicide prevention in the workplace has become a very different landscape to what it might have been in the past. And I think that's exacerbated for organisations that are customer facing. When we think about the workforce as a whole, there's probably a much higher expectation of support being available to staff. So wellbeing support and embedding this culturally, which I think I might have touched upon earlier, is really important because it, it has to be authentic. It has to be practical. And it's about creating that resilience as well as the confidence to be able to take action. So Jason, have you found that any of the businesses you've worked with have faced any particular challenges when trying to do this in practice? So when trying to kind of implement a wider firm culture around supporting vulnerable customers? Sure. I think what's been shared with us is that culture change is difficult. Where we had examples of organisations being really happy about how they've done it. It's been through a combination of investment in the education piece, but also looking at behaviours and the role modelling of senior leadership. So ensuring that those at the top of an organisation are demonstrating the same behaviours and are showing that they believe in those same principles, but also where it's been reflected in terms of the actual policies that are backing things up. So it's it's great to give a someone the skills to have a really good quality conversation with somebody But actually, if that's backed up by a policy that isn't particularly considerate or accessible or or fair on that person, then it's not going to work. So I think where we've had feedback of things going really well is where it's been that sort of three pronged approach of investing in the people, demonstrating the behaviour from management um, or leadership and the policy bit. And I think almost as a trifecta, that's helped to establish culture change, albeit something that takes quite a long time. Some organisations who've come to us and they've wanted to do something in a short period of time, 
you know, a couple of months and they want to make an investment in their people, but then it, but then they don't revisit it. So actually, within a year or two, you know, the turnover in that organisation has meant that that investment has been eroded away. It can be the idea of the month for someone in the leadership group, but it is an investment over a longer, longer period of time that affects things on a more permanent basis. So going back to your point about it being important for firms to implement a wider culture of support for vulnerable customers, what kind of customers should they be thinking about here? Because obviously the the people that immediately come to mind are people, say, that are in a lot of debt. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So of the organisations we work with, they're very focused on providing better support to those in most distress. And I think that can be effective, but I think what would be more effective would be to think about the customer group more holistically and understand that any customer could be in distress at some point. And so it's actually taking a whole organisation approach to that rather than just the vulnerable customer team. It should be anybody who's customer facing. And actually, it could be any colleague that's supporting those teams because it's got to come from, we've got to look at the whole system. A great example, we worked with a well-known financial services provider and they've probably got hundreds, if not more, staff dealing with customers, but they really wanted to focus the offer that they were creating on the 15 or 20 people that were working in one acute team. That's great, but you can't change a culture in a business that size by really working with a group of 20 people. It has to happen across the whole staff population. And it's not just about the interactions. It's as we, you know, it's about the policies. It's about the people that write the policies. It's about making sure that it's backed up by all the other teams that are interacting with them. Right. So it's really about scaling up then more widely than into the culture of a firm rather than doing it sort of on a piecemeal basis. Absolutely. I think it's not just about treating the point of delivery. I think it's taking a whole organisation approach. And let's pivot just slightly, because we often think of responding to vulnerable customers as in person or over the phone, for example, but written communications are important too, and maybe increasingly so for firms that interact much more frequently as time goes on through digital channels. These should also consider the needs of vulnerable customers, right? Absolutely. I mean, clearly there are changing preferences um, in terms of how people want to communicate. We know from our own services at Samaritans that our younger callers, as we still call them, will prefer to write to us via email or use online chats. What we found with the written word area is that there are some different techniques required to make sure that the quality remains the same. You don't have the benefits of being able to listen out for someone's volume level, how often they're pausing, what their intonation is like, whether they might be upset, for instance, crying or angry when they're shouting. You, you lose a lot of that richness. You, you know, In your response, what you're putting out, we have to be really, really careful that it's clear, precise and accurate so that it's really easy to understand. So it is something which we've looked at. We've actually developed a module on that, on written word support, specifically for organisations where they are doing a lot of interaction online. We always make a point, I think of of reinforcing the fact that it's that the Samaritan is always a person, and that and, and the training we provide is to people. It's not to inform those digital applications necessarily. Right. And, and that brings up a related need for people who are interacting via digital channels and via the written word to be able to access real people through those channels where that's needed, particularly when they're facing a, a difficult situation. Yeah, I think so, because one of the great benefits of our 
call service Samaritans is that a caller knows they are talking to a human being and that human being is taking the time and the interest to be there and side by side for that person, whether that's for a 20 minute or an hour long phone call. So they know they've got someone's attention and the focus of that call is always on the caller. Clearly in a business setting, you know, these days that is not always possible, but I think there is still something, there is still some inherent value in a customer knowing I'm talking to a person and this person is going to think about their answer to me. They're not just going to type something into a screen and tell me the answer that comes out. It's that thoughtfulness of having that interaction. I think there's a huge amount of perceived value from the end of the of the caller in our case or the customer in the case of business. And I suppose then the staff member that is supporting this customer is going to need a degree of flexibility in the way that they navigate their own firm's internal processes so as best to support the customer. Ideally, but sometimes there is no room for manoeuvre. The majority of organisations that do choose to work with us are those where there is some room to manoeuvre and actually they want to support their staff to be able to do that with the right skills so that it's done in a way that is empathetic to the needs of that customer. Why is now such an important time for businesses to be considering the needs of vulnerable customers and how they can sort of communicate and support them? This is an incredibly difficult moment for society. We are still coming, you know, facing the after effects of of a pandemic. We're going through a really difficult economic period with cost of living crisis. So we've seen our call numbers for people suffering money worries going up. There are times of day when we take a huge, huge number of calls from people who can't get through to other services because those services are so understaffed. So actually, those organisations that are able to have interactions with people, there's probably more of an onus on them to be able to provide more support. And there's certainly a greater need right now. I think we're going to carry on seeing that based on the trends and the data that we have at Samaritans. I think the bit of feedback that we've had from some of our customers, though, in terms of why now is such an important, I, I really also think that the way in which we make decisions about who we want to do, do business with, who we want to be customers of, and, and also who we want to go and work for. I think as a society, we are putting a greater emphasis on organisations that do consider the ethics and best practice around customers. So I think actually it's, it's the right time to invest in your business brand in this area because actually it's, people are really taking notice and we've heard that a lot over the last two years. Well, thank you very much, Jason, for all your insights. Connie, given what we've just learned from Jason, what are some key messages for firms then as they implement the duties requirements relating to vulnerable customers? So I would say the three key practical steps firms should be taking here are firstly, ensuring frontline teams have the skills and capabilities to recognize vulnerability. Secondly, ensuring that any customer support framework allows for tailoring to vulnerable customers and that customer communications, both oral and written, are tested in the context of vulnerability. And thirdly, ensuring that senior managers support frontline staff to 
treat customers fairly and also assist in implementing a wider culture of support for vulnerable customers. Absolutely. And it's also important to note, actually, that the FCA's commitment to protecting vulnerable customers is connected to another aim. And this is actually related to some of the points that Jason just brought up, and that's financial inclusion. And that connection between these two areas of focus was made by the FCA in a speech last November. And the FCA promised to monitor the situation closely to really ensure that firms don't respond to the consumer duty rules by becoming more risk averse in relation to vulnerable customers, the worry being that there might even be a withdrawal of product offerings from groups that are more difficult to reach, but who might benefit from them. Yep, that's right, Duncan. Essentially, the only way out is through. Firms need to work to meet the needs of vulnerable customers rather than reducing or adapting offerings to avoid the issue. Right. I think that's all we have time for. Jason, many thanks to you. Any final messages for our listeners? This is a growing area for us. So anybody who would like to find out more can visit samaritans.org forward slash step or email us at step at samaritans.org. And STEP stands for Samaritans Training and Education Programs. Thanks, Jason. Well, that wraps up our episode. We hope you found it useful. Check out the show notes for a link to our webpage on the consumer duty, where you'll find all our insights, including our note on the final rules and our podcast series. We're always here to help. So don't hesitate to contact us or anyone else at Linklaters if you'd like to discuss further. Thank you very much for listening.